You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This is the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, welcome back to another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. Hopefully everybody's having a good week. If you're in the Midwest, specifically in Iowa, where I'm at, it's cold as balls outside. Uh, Two things right now that I am sick of doing, and that is shoveling my driveway. And I've been helping out another guy in the neighborhood who... um, He's not feeling so hot, so I've been helping him with uh, with his driveway, and uh, I've been cracking the whip on my kids <laughs> and uh, making sure that they learn responsibility. So I'm dragging them out with uh, me, and they're having to scoop the little amount of snow that uh, they scoop. But at the same time, uh, I have a neighbor who he's a badass man. I I, I love having him as a neighbor. I. I start scooping and then eventually he comes out with his uh, four-wheeler plow and he'll plow the rest of the driveway for me and he's helped me a couple times with the um, other guy down the street and the only thing I got to do is give him some deer meat and I bought him a Texas fifth of uh, uh, Jack Daniels so uh, that's pretty good instead of having to pay someone to come and uh, scoop it for me I got a, I got a really good neighbor who uh, helps me with that stuff so that's what's really going on right now, man. Um, I recently went to uh, Sporting Goods Store Shields in Iowa City, and I shot a Hoyt or two Hoyts. I shot a Matthews. I shot uh, the Prime Nexus and a Bowtech. I shot four, you know, four bows from those brands. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to launch it this week or next week, but keep an eye out on the Hunting Gear podcast where I give some insight, my thoughts, my preferences on some of the the uh, bows that I shot 
at that uh, at the, the shooting range there that they have. So uh, that's what uh, I've been doing, really, other than working and uh, you know just working here on the network. Man, I wish I could say I've I've been out and uh, I did pull the trail camera and dude, I was just high stepping through it. Uh, I still have not posted any of the pictures from it, but the buck that I passed on November 1st or 2nd, I think it was, it was a little bit bigger than I thought he was. And, uh, I got a really good picture of him head on looking at me It, it from, he had his head down and he was chasing does. So maybe, maybe that was the case. Maybe I need new, uh, contacts or something, but he was a little bit bigger in the antler department. I still think he's a three-year-old, but, um, I'll make sure I post some pictures for you guys to, to look at on Instagram or whatever. But today we got a guy who's hopping on the podcast. He's from Illinois. His name is Derek Rupel. And uh, he's going to talk about some challenges that he has faced in, I think it was the 2016, 17, 18, and 19 season where he didn't harvest a buck at all. So he went through kind of a, a drought. And then eventually he uh, seals the deal on a buck this past year, a really good deer uh, in 2020. So we're going to kind of walk through the trials and tribulations. Um, I think a lot of it, when you listen to this, is a guy who made the decision to take a step up and try to harvest more mature bucks or bigger antler bucks, a little bit of both. And then at the same time, the the quality of deer in his area decreased so he was kind of fighting a battle between himself and fighting a battle between the deer that uh really weren't there for him but it's a really good episode um i know you guys are going to enjoy it uh hopefully uh you guys are enjoying these episodes i'm going to have some some more strategy i'm going to do a podcast here in the next couple weeks where i talk about how i go about my late season scouting or my postseason or preseason however you want to look at it scouting uh that i'm going to be doing here like right now there's honestly just too much snow uh and um uh once that once i get some food out there on the on the farm i think uh like i'm gonna drop some bags of corn to get the deer moving a little bit you know just to help them out give them some uh some feed or whatever and then i'll really be able to see how they used to rain to get to and from the places on the farm and uh basically i'm just going to talk about the information that i can gather from late season scouting or or postseason scouting so uh look for that episode look for the nine finger chronicles episode and if you guys own your property or lease property i'm just going to add this in real quick and you are thinking about um well and you have the ability to do habitat work or have the ability to do um plant food plots and stuff like this uh like that the guys at land and legacy i don't know if if you guys haven't heard of the land and legacy uh podcast it's on the sportsman's nation network but uh the guys at land and legacy they're doing a workshop and uh they have a couple dates scheduled for this summer right now and i think it's just two right now and that is michigan june 25th and through 27th in 2021 and i think uh some of some of these places like the actual location is yet to be determined but uh for sure michigan june 25th through 27th of this this summer and then one in alabama july 23rd through the 25th and uh so what i would recommend is go if you're interested these guys are 
These guys are the shit straight up. Uh, that's what I'll say when it comes to habitat management, when it comes to food plots and um, how to make your property better suited for wildlife. Uh, there's, in my opinion, there's nobody better. So not only do you need to listen to their uh, podcast, but you need to go check out um, all their website. And uh, I guess just type in land and legacy. It'll pop up on Google, but uh, you can go ahead and check that out and see if uh you might be wanting to go to one of those. And I think they're going to be adding some more dates throughout uh, the, throughout the um, spring and winter if they get enough interest in those areas. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Other than that, i got to do a commercial from some of our, our uh, sponsors. And the first one, Wasp Archery. Uh, <laughs> man, I am going on an elk hunt this year, so I'm, I'm going to beef up my arrows a little bit. And I think in, in the past, see, this year I used the jackhammer. That's a mechanical uh, broadhead 100 grain the boss four blade is, an, is a 100 grain fixed blade that i've used in the past and both of those just destroy animals but i'm looking for a beefier setup and i think i'm going to go with the hammer this year um, and that is a fixed blade uh, a really big a bigger fixed blade that can get it into the 125 grains and like uh the, one of the engineers from wasp told me his name's fred doherty he pretty much said dude like I don't know why hunters don't shoot 125 grains. Like if he had his way, he probably wouldn't even manufacture hundred grains, hundred grain broadheads because there's so much more you can do with a 125 grain broadhead. So keep that in mind when you uh, go to put your arrows together this winter or this, uh, this summer for the upcoming fall, obviously, uh, there's a lot of information out there about broadheads. You can go to wasparchery.com. And if you decide to uh, purchase, enter the discount code 9fingers2020. Now, I'm going to give you two discount codes here because I'm not sure if they've changed it over yet. But it's 9fingers2020 or 9fingers2021. Try them both and uh, you'll receive 20% off of your purchase. And uh, there's no better time than right now to start thinking about gear for this upcoming season. And speaking of gear, Vortex Optics, right? Just a badass company with, I like, I don't know why, but I like using the term badass when I talk about them because not only are the people who work there badass, they're really cool people. They're really knowledgeable. They're participants in the activity that they're marketing towards in the community that they're marketing towards. I mean, the, the entire company is veteran owned. It is, you know, it's uh, USA. It's uh, um, people use their products, right? They have the uh, uh, tons of shooters and bow hunters and gun hunters. So, uh, you know, their spotting scopes, their binoculars, their range finders, their um, uh, like red dots and rifle scopes. I mean, it's owned, operated, and the the products are engineered and designed by the people who use them the most so that is a big tell for how a product is going to uh, function in the field it because when you have a product if you're like me right and if i was to go out and design a product i would know that if there's something that's going to fail on it that's going to get redesigned and it won't fail the next time right and i that's what those guys are like so the culture within vortex is uh is awesome and uh the products are awesome right so head on over to vortexoptics.com take a look at all the products they make and uh man pick something that's right for you man they also have a line like a full uh 
lineup of apparel that they're pushing now too. So uh, take a look at that. Other than that, I think we've done our commercials. I've done the intro. Be sure to follow on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. Uh, Make sure you guys are following along on all, not only the Nine Finger Chronicles, but the entire network on the Sportsman's Nation. So um, keep an eye out. I, I was planning on filming the first episode of the nine finger kitchen but we had two snow days so my kids were home so i couldn't film so i had to uh reschedule that and uh now i'm just waiting on another good time to record that and as soon as i record it i'll I'll probably edit it the same day and get it launched asap so there's that let's get into today's uh i don't know hunter profile podcast with Derek rupel three two one all right on the phone with me today mr Derek rupel Derek, how we doing man doing good dan how are you doing i'm doing good man i'm doing good how much snow do you guys have in uh indiana right now as of today zero it is up to 41 degrees and it's all gone they're talking about some coming maybe next week but we don't get much snow around here anymore it doesn't seem like so are you on the southern part of the state yeah so uh, southwestern part, uh, biggest town around me is uh, Evansville. If anybody's ever heard of that, about an hour north of there. Okay. Kind of close to the Illinois-Kentucky line. Gotcha. Man, I tell you what, I went out to pull a trail camera today, and uh, it's been sitting there since October 28th. And so I got the whole rut on this uh, on this camera and pretty excited about what I saw. But the thing about it is, man, I, I was walking through some knee-deep snow in the in the ag fields so there's like a layer of snow a layer of ice and a layer another layer of snow and i was going in there basically to um just pull the camera and basically check one bedding area i always check this one bedding area because it's easy to get to for sheds and man the the snow the ice the snow have has kind of got me worried for these deer yeah I'm, I actually pulled the camera not too long ago that would have been set out throughout the rut, and that's the first time I let a camera soak that long. I partially kind of forgot about the camera and uh, pulled it a couple of weeks ago, and it's really neat watching the rut unfold in yeah. a place that I don't think I ever hunted that, that property during the rut. Uh, as far as snow, it seems like everybody out kind of west, you know, towards where you're at in Iowa, always complaining about all the snow and here i am wishing you know for some snow just for a different different change of scenery yeah yeah one thing i really like about the snow and i'm actually going to get into this into a, a another podcast is i really love how snow um you can you can almost see the travel pa- the travel corridors where these deer walk and how they use terrain it's like a it's like a map on the actual mm-hmm. ground and if you if you're smart about it, you can use snow to help you place tree stands come the fall. Like find where those trails that you've identified in the snow uh, meet up to edge uh, or, you know, a bedding area that you've identified during the summer months or maybe a, a scrape line or a rub line or whatever. Um, that could, you know, you put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you can find uh, really good tree stand locations from that information. Definitely. I, I lo- the, that's like the first thing that happens 
in my mind whenever they're calling for snow i'm like yes i can finally go do some scouting you know i i always do postseason scouting but like you said it's nice to see that the travel corridor and the snow just kind of like it makes it easier to see in the woods and it just seems like it's so much more open yeah and i can i can see i i can like you said i can find those preset places to either put a stand or just put a like i went out uh last night and did uh, some scouting on a piece of public that i needed i had the buck encounter in there this past year and i wanted to know the area better and there wasn't any snow that i was like i wished for but there was a lot of flood water and it was kind of neat to see how the deer use the flood water to navigate this kind of an island out there by a swamp. And, uh, you know, while I'm out there, I'm constantly looking for places that I can, that I can hunt after finding like a buck bed. I found one good buck bed last night. And the first thing I'm looking around is where can I set up and kill this buck at if, you know, if, if he's bedded there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe people know they should be doing that, but I don't, I don't feel like a lot of people go from the hunting season right into scouting when it is probably the best time of the year to get out and scout because like what you just said, you can see the terrain changes. It's not obstructed by the leaves on, on the vegetation. You can see, um, how the deer use that especially if there's snow you i mean you see the depth of the of the woods as well or the landscape so yeah man i yeah. i don't know I I, I I just love being out out in the timber this time of year i i hear you dude uh i actually get laughed at from some of my buddies that that they deer hunt and then they're asking you know what are you doing tonight after work or whatever what you what are you doing this weekend and I'll tell them I got plans to go do some scouting. And they're like, scouting for what? And I'm like, well, deer. And they're, they're like, man, deer season nine <laughs> or ten months away. And I'm like, no, the, the next season started as soon as the last one ended. I mean, right after – the day after I killed my buck this year, which was just back on January 3rd of this year, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago. I mean, the next day I'm like, all right, what can I do yeah. for next season to, put, to stack the odds in my favor? That's a fact. That's a fact. That's something – I'll be honest with you. I don't do enough of that. I, I wish I'm always in such a big hurry to get back home that after I shoot my deer, I really should go walk all of the properties that I have uh, access to hunt because that information, you know, the, a big scrape or a rub or, or finding, I don't know, just maybe even sitting in a tree, uh, knowing that you don't have a tag to fill. I think that could really help a guy out for the, the next season definitely the buck encounter i had on public land this year uh went into an area that was i had never stepped foot in before and just used like my on x app to try to dissect from uh, you know just a satellite image of where i should go and ended up i got within 60 or 75 yards from a buck that stood up out of its bed uh you know right at dark just just like they say it should and uh, my goal yesterday was to go in there and find that buck's bed and and see why he was bedding there and you know try to find where can i set up where i knew where he went through at and i wanted to know what tree should i have been in you know i want to backtrack a lot of my encounters that i've had from the previous season and it's hard to find time to do all that yeah i i've got a family and i've been gone all season hunting as hard as i can and i think my wife's kind of ready for me to be home a little bit more and uh i'm i'm still 
I'm still going. Yeah, that's a fact, I man. I just don't get burnt out on it. Yeah, I hear you on that. Now, you reached out to me through uh, uh, social media or whatever and uh, kind of told me the story. And I really like the story that you that you shared with me because there is a lot of failure in the in this story. And it that failure ultimately leads to success. And I can't wait to get into the details um, about this story uh, with you and for the listeners and whatnot. But uh, before we get into that, you're from Indiana. What do you do for a living? Yeah, I'm from, like I said earlier, from southwest Indiana. And I work for a natural gas pipeline uh, called Texas Gas. I'm a pipeline operator. Okay. So you're outside all the time anyway, right? I'd, I'd mostly work out outside. Yes, man. That's a win, I guess. Right. I, I do. I do a lot of driving, um, which leads me to be able to listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, I'm out, I'm outside a lot. Sometimes I'm in a, I'm in a city, but a lot of times I'm out in the country and, uh, I, we have a compressor station, um, for the natural gas pipeline that I work inside of too. So, some days I don't know what I'm going to be going in and doing it. Some days I've got a plan. So um, it's, it's a good job. I'm really fortunate to have it. Yeah, let me ask you this. Uh, like, is it pretty much uneventful? Right, like, do you have to stop the pipeline and, and do major repairs every once in a while? Or is it, uh, like, does it just kind of take care of itself for the most part? Uh, for the most part, it takes care of itself. Now, this time of year, we get more busy. Um, the gas demand usually goes up. We have power plants that, that are taking gas from our pipeline. And, and uh, so we that's why we have these compressors, this compressor station with these gigantic engines in them that are pumping that gas to create more volume to, to feed these places. So most of it takes care of itself, but I deal a lot with like 811, you know, the call before you dig stuff. Yeah. I deal a lot with that. Um, there is stuff that we have to do monthly, just like routine maintenance stuff. But um, I'd say it's not necessarily uneventful, but we have steady work. Uh, my boss likes to keep everybody busy and, and I, I, I don't necessarily wake up dreading to go to work. I, it's nice that I enjoy my job. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. I got, I got a couple buddies who they work in, you know, not necessarily natural gas, but in a, uh, in an environment where everybody likes to hunt. And so they have to really manage their PTO come October, November or the the hunting season. Do you work with a lot of other guys who who all are jockeying for the same time off? Yeah, kind of. Um, I'd say out of the crew that I work with, I probably, I probably spend the most time hunting. Uh, I, I, I hunt pretty hard, but there is, a, there's a few guys there that there's like three of them that hunt uh, quite regularly. And, um, I don't have the highest seniority there, but we're all about the same age and we all have different things going on. So it usually works out and I usually get the same rut vacation each year, but, uh, I just told my boss the next guy we hire, he just can't be a hunter because we. I just don't need more competition on <laughs> PTO time. That's funny. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I know a couple guys who they work in a. Um, everybody there wants to hunt, and they've had to go on a yearly rotating scale. So you know, everybody wants the first two weeks of November off. Well, mm-hmm. you can't not the whole business would shut down if this guy let everybody go out. So, you know, some guys get that first week, some guys get that second week, and then they have to rotate every single year. That way, everybody, you know, he has enough guys to operate. Yeah. And ours, 
ours, I'd say my place is kind of different from a lot of places. There's only like nine total people that work uh, at the station I work at. And the station's out in the middle of right. nowhere. It's actually three miles from my house. Right. You know, I live out in the middle of nowhere too. And, um, which is nice to have it conveniently right there. But, um, there's only three of us that do the job that I do and, but we all kind of help each other out. So yeah, it's, it's nice that we're all like a family, but, um, I haven't had to deal with competing PTO yet. Uh, but yeah, I, like I, like I said to my boss, we just can't create more competition. Yeah. I feel you. So. All right. So let's get into this story today. Cause I, f- I find it interesting. Um, you went through a four a four season drought where you did not kill uh, your a buck, right? So two thousand what sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, four years of not Correct. not yep. killing a deer. All right, so that gives us the preference here of this big drought, um, and we're going to get into this. So in you killed a deer in twenty. Uh, 2015, 2015, 2015. Okay. So let's start there. Let me ask you this. What kind of hunter were you in 2015? I, I was thought back then I was really into it. I mean, I, I've always even whenever, just whenever I was younger and in school and, and high school throughout college, everything always revolved around hunting. I've always tried to set up, uh, what I'm doing for a job or, or whatever. My first thought was, how's that going to affect my hunting? And up until 2015, I mean, I definitely thought I was pretty into it. 2015 was kind of a blur as far as deer season, because I wasn't as into it as I am now. I'm also really into like turkey hunting and I do a lot of bow fishing and stuff. But, um, 2015, I had my first child and I had her on October 15th and so she's just, I got a newborn at the house and I was basically out there just, I was like, I just hope I kill, you know, a decent deer. And I did, I killed, I killed a really nice eight pointer with my bow, uh, during my rut vacation and was on cloud nine at the time. And, and, and then, so yeah, I feel like I was serious, but I, I'm, I'm definitely a lot more into it now, more passionate about whitetail hunting than I was then. Okay. So you, you shot this deer in 20, uh, in 2015, like, so what led to this drought? Did you, did your, because here, I'll share you my experience. I had a drought as well. Uh, I shot a deer in 2012 and then in 2013, 14 and 15, I struck out, right? Uh, 2014 was a little bit because I focused, um, a year, one whole year or one whole season on my buddy. Uh, I wanted to get him a deer, but in 2000 and in 2013 and 2014 and 2015, I struck out. A lot of it had to do with me up in my game and trying to shoot big mature deer. I was passing a, a lot of deer um, that probably were mature, but at the same time were also, uh, you know, they had decent racks like in the 140s. And I think I even passed in that time frame one deer in the low 150s, which is was probably the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life. So a lot of that, that. yeah, a, a lot of that pain and suffering came. I, I, I put that on myself, right. Plus, you know, yeah. maybe some, maybe some other things that happened, you know, that were, were more of just like a dry spell or, or, or dumb mistakes. But let me ask you this, what, you know, leading it, leading into the 2016 season, what, like 
what were some of the things that were going through your mind? Did you lose the passion to hunt? Did you make bad mistakes? You know, what caused this drought? Well, I would say a lot of um, the reason of behind the drought was kind of like what you just explained. Uh, 2016, I, I still felt like I was the same hunter as I was back in 2015. But as I went through 2016, I was I was doing what I've always done. I I I have I was hunting the same same spot all the time. I wasn't. I've never had a bunch of permanent tree stands out. I've always I've always used a climber in the past, and I I kind of bounced around a little bit. But a lot of times, I found myself climbing the same tree multiple times where I probably should have just had a tree stand in it because I was hunting. So I, I, you know, I just, I watched a lot of outdoor channel type of stuff at the time and kind of thought, I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think I was at a peak. I didn't, I definitely didn't think I had peaked in hunting, but um, at the end of 2016 uh, is when, when I had more of a, a change in my, in my mind and had to adjust my style because a lot of different things collided all at once at the end of 2016. I, I got through the, the 16th season and I hadn't killed a buck and I didn't think much about it. I had pretty much filled my buck tag every year before that. And it was just like, okay, I, I went this year without one and I don't hunt out of state. I hunt in Indiana only. I plan on starting to hunt out of state, but that's not to happen yet. Um, so it's a one buck limit here. Uh, used to, for a long time I was even against shooting does I, I was I wasn't okay with even shooting does so I hadn't even shot it I had shot a deer since 2015 buck or doe and that was because we just had low a lot lower deer density numbers due to EHD back in 08 and 2012 but at the end of 16 season I'd had I'd had an encounter with a buck that was actually bedded right below one of the only permanent stands I had on this farm and I, at the time, I didn't realize why he was bedded there. Now, the, all the stuff that I've, all the content I've digested over time, I completely understand why he's bedded there. It made a lot of sense. But um, I, he was a really nice, I don't know, probably 135, 140-inch uh, 10-pointer. And I know that because after that hunt, I went in to go try to kill him again. And I was sitting on the ground one morning. Uh, like I said, this is, this is uh, late season. It's uh, late bow when all this happened. And... Uh, I had a doe come in I and she bedded 20 yards to my left and I'm just on the ground underneath a big Asian honeysuckle bush and she's bedded facing me and it's the real feel is like three degrees outside and I don't even have my jacket on yet because I literally just sat down and then here she came up and bedded beside me well right behind her here comes that buck and he bedded right behind her so I had him at like 25 30 yards and all I could see was his rack and we had a showdown for like two hours so I kind of had it out for this buck. I'd had two two encounters and didn't seal the deal. And then something, I don't know, at the end of 2016 season, I had a group of 11 does come by in the same area. I really figured he was following for some reason. I was kind of hoping he wasn't following them. And it was weird to think that because you know, I, was, I was out there to fill my buck tag. I was out there to kill one. But I kind of thought like, man, he's made it through all of Indiana's firearm seasons. And it, where I hunt, I hunt a lot of private and some public now, but a lot of it's highly pressured and gun season can be catastrophic sometimes. And, uh, I was kind of hoping he would make it. And I, I don't know. I felt, I just felt something change. I felt like I was really getting into whitetails. The 2016 season or nothing that really stands out to me, except I had some really good rut hunts, but, um, 
I just really enjoyed that season. I didn't think nothing about not feeling my tag, but I don't know. I felt like the page turned and I was wanting to start targeting more mature deer. Um, not necessarily size of rack, but just age class. And I think that's what led to my dr- overall drought for all these years. Okay. So you made this decision then to um, take a step up, right? And yeah. a, a lot of times that happens to a lot of people. It happened, you know, it happened to me. When you, you make a commitment to yourself to say, hey, I'm going to jump up from three or two and three-year-olds to shooting four-year-olds or older. Or, hey, I want to kill a whatever whatever a big rack in this person's area would be if you know for me you know i said mm-hmm. to myself hey man i want to i want to kill a giant buck just like everybody else is doing and i think part of my drought was i made that decision to do that but i didn't have the skills necessary yet to 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 make that jump does that make sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah i i was kind of in the same boat right there yeah so so was that then part of the reason that you had uh, some of this, you know, like a little bit of this drought where um, you said, hey, I'm going to, you know, I want to play in the majors, but you only got the, you know, I want to play with the pros, but I only got the amateur skills. Okay, so I kind of hit on it a little bit ago. There was a lot of things that all happened at once. There was, there was the fact that, I yes, I was wanting to start targeting more mature deer. And I'm, I'm nowhere near targeting specific bucks yet but um the thing there was one major thing that happened and that is almost every single property that i hunt including the nine acres that i own here up at my house every piece of it got logged within a two-year time spell okay some of it was clear cut some of it was just heavy select cut and it completely changed everything some some of it got better some of it i've still haven't figured out and that's one challenge i have every year now is with all the sunlight that everything's getting it's constantly changing what the woods looks like and so i think that was a huge factor and also at the time i had a like i said i hunted with a climber and now all my climber trees were gone so now my system that i've been using since i was 12 doesn't doesn't work anymore i don't Ah, have okay so not only did yeah, the environment but, change, but the ability to use your gear that you're comfortable with uh, changed. And it sounds to me like now, did you try to um, evolve onto new equipment or, you know, make these all these active? I don't want to I don't necessarily want to uh, use the term you know, get mobile because there's certain, you know, like you would need to upgrade gear and you would need to, um, go and, and I guess reeducate yourself on how this property worked. Did you do any type of knocking on doors once you realized that some of the, some of this property just wasn't, wasn't good anymore? So I, I'm constantly knocking on doors, get told no a lot. Get, I get told yes every once in a while, but, um, yeah, I've, I, like I said, I always considered that climber real mobile, and I. But it's one of the things where everything changed, and I just there's nothing I can do about it. It's not land that I own. Um, I have to get, I have to roll the punches. So, yeah, I started down a very long rabbit hole of mobile hunting that is it's cost me a lot of time and money. <laughs> um, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, and 
but I never, I never really um, picked up any new places to hunt. I, I did here and there, but after going in and doing a lot of postseason scouting on them, uh, there was nothing that, there's nothing that really caught my attention. And I've got a lot of, I put a lot of uh, sweat equity into one of the particular farms that I have. And the reason is because it's where I shot my, I shot my first deer there, my first bow kill, uh, several of my turkeys. And it's a farm that, um, it's about 150 acres and my, like four times great grandpa or something like that used to, uh, he used to help farm that ground and bell hay and stuff. And there's an old barn on the property that, um, he used to work in that barn a lot. So I've got some family history there. It's just kind of neat to hunt that property and know that the creeks in it and stuff is, you know, they were dirt poor. That's where they got their water and stuff from. So I put a lot of effort into there and that property got heavily logged. It's completely changing every year. And it made me sick to see the logging when it happened because it was a beautiful, beautiful woods. But, um, like I said, I don't own it. So I had to start evolving my mobile system. Right. So, do you run trail cameras at all? Yes, I do. Okay. So did you, once the property was logged, did you continue to run trail cameras on these properties? And did the quality of deer change on the property once it was logged? Yeah, I took some time to see some results. But I, yeah, I've, I've, I run more cameras now than I used to, but... Um, the first thing I did was I, I, you know, I kept, I kept doing my trail camera routine, but a lot of the stuff that I knew was going to start growing up in these places was probably going to be invasive species like multiflora rose and uh, bush honeysuckle and stuff. And the place was going to get overrun and be really hard to navigate and stuff. And I had no interest really before then. I figured I would one day, but at the time I didn't have any interest in doing any type of food plots. I, did, I don't, I don't own a tractor. I've got a four wheeler and a chainsaw basically. And, um, the, so the first thing I did was I need to figure out how to keep certain logging roads throughout this property open, not only for easier access to help get deer out if I need to, but I wanted to enhance the property at the same time. I knew after listening to, uh, after asking on some forums, listening to it on some podcasts and stuff, I had heard there's probably gonna be a lot of benefits to having the place logged. Like it probably will change. Yeah. And so then I got kind of in a rabbit hole of habitat enhancement and doing these food plots and stuff. And I still do my food plots to this day with a four wheeler and not much equipment. And the quality of deer did change it. The first couple of years was really tough. I think the deer were still trying to learn how to use the place. A lot of the treetops were left and they were kind of plugging off some of the valleys and, and the rolling hills on the ground. So their travel routes changed a little, but now I'm starting to see, more often better quality deer okay so um it's just kind of a a worst case scenario right you you made the decision to up your game target mature deer at the same time they had this big logging uh, uh event come through the properties that you hunt thus causing some of the deer not only the deer that were there to change their travel routes, but at the same time, it sounds like it kind of pressure put pushed some of the the more mature deer off the property. Is that correct? Yeah, I'd say so. There's there's some land, especially to the north of here, that uh, north of that farm in particular, that doesn't get a whole lot of pressure, and they were logging pretty much all through deer season. This logger was particularly slow and showed up at odd hours. Like I was hunting one night at 
on a Sunday and he pulled up at six o'clock, a half hour before dark and pulled one log out of the woods and then left. So it's just kind of, he was just kind of here and there and they, he logged all through that, that deer season. So that like 2017 was a tough year over there because there was just so much going on, on the property that deer aren't used to all this human activity. Okay. So the logging obviously changed the, changed the environment. Uh, and then they took a whole year uh, you know, all through the hunting season to pull that, th- all those logs that they've cut down out. And it wasn't like one yeah. big pressured event. It was like additional pressure throughout a several month period. Yes. It, yeah, it was. And then this, like, like I said earlier, I have, I own nine acres here at my house and I had 10 acres of nice woods that my woods tied into that got that neighbor clear cut his woods completely down and then the slow logger that was logging my main farm, he moved in to the southwest of me and logged probably a hundred something acres, and he logged on it for over two years. And so even the hunting that's out my back door, it was getting pressured too by all this logging activity going yeah. on. So like, there's a lot of odds that were going against me. At the same time, I'm trying to up my goal of targeting better deer. Yeah. And then. And then in the midst of all that, I'm losing how I'm used to hunting out of this climber. Right. Okay. So, all right. So we're starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together here. All right. So some of it's bad luck. Some of it is, um, would, would you say that maybe in that 2017 or I don't know, maybe even into the, uh, obviously 26, did they start logging in 2016 or 2017? The logging actually happened at the end of 2016, like, Right, right at the end of season, they started logging on my main farm. I was actually spending a lot more time on a on the same landowner's other piece of property that's about a mile away from there. Okay, all right. So, so 2017 um, sounds like bad luck, but at the same time, a little bit on your part of failure to evolve to the new pressure. We're based off of the trail camera data that you did have in 2017. Um, were there any deer that fit your new type of goal, right? A big mature buck. Um, was there any uh, of those deer running around on the farms that you had access to still, even with that pressure? Yeah, there was. And there was more, it was more nighttime activity. I was getting picks at you know midnight, 3 a.m. And, so I, I did, you know, I, I kind of took those pictures of the grain of salt. I didn't know exactly where they were going to be bedded at. They're showing up in the middle of the night, on, you know, on my cameras. So, yeah, there there was some daylight activity in the 2017 season, and obviously that was more in the rut, but it was more like, I don't know, sporadic. It, it was, there, was, there wasn't hardly any consistencies going on yeah. throughout that season. And it's not like I wasn't ever getting on deer. It ain't like I went out every time and, just wasn't ever seeing anything. I there was a lot of deer that I passed that typically I would have shot, and every time you know they walk by and I'm like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot it. I'm like man, I hope I don't regret that. And then after season, you're like maybe I should have done it. Maybe I'm not ready to you know move move up and and start targeting older deer. Yeah. Oh man, that's that's tough. Now when you did locate one of these mature deer, even though it was a lot of nocturnal movement, did you make any moves into those areas um, to try, whether it was with your climber or with a ladder stand or, or whatever method that you were using to try to uh, connect on some of these deer? So 
my method first first of all, I, I gotta address that my method totally changed um in, in 2017 when whenever all that logging started happening and i'm i'm walking around like in shed season i'm like oh my gosh there's there's no trees anymore i can't get in any there's no, all these straight pole trees are gone um I, I i was actually listening to the wired hunt podcast and he had uh, john eberhardt on there and at the time i'd never heard of him but it was about using a tree saddle and i know that is a it's very popular now but at the time wasn't and there wasn't a whole lot of uh, stuff out there. There wasn't a whole lot of companies. There wasn't a lot of products. There's a lot of DIY gear kind of stuff. And I watched a few videos on it I, after listening to that podcast, uh, kind of opened my mind a little bit. I thought I have to be open-minded to, to try something to get me in a tree. And I wasn't, if I, I thought if I'm going to change, I wanted to try to cut back on weight. So I wasn't really looking at using a mobile hang-on yet. I was still open to the idea. But the saddle thing kind of, it was different and it was unique at the time. So I kind of, I went down, I, I got on saddle hunter forum. I started talking to all these guys. A lot of these guys helped me out a lot through private messaging. And then later on went to go start, you know, the, the product uh, tethered those guys before they were all, you know, DIY guys on that forum and they were helping guys like me out. And so I went down the, the rabbit hole of saddle hunting and I was able to get into all these trees that I never thought would never even consider. I was almost overwhelmed walking into the woods. Like I can climb anything now, you know? And so, um, I would try to get in to these areas whenever I was getting, uh, these trail camera pictures in the middle of the night. But when I'm listening to all these podcasts, you know, they're, they're telling me if you're getting pictures, you know, of deer in the middle of the night, he's probably not bedded on you. And listening to guys like Dan Infault, that's been a big influence in how I hunt, I, I, I know I need to be close to that bedding, especially once they start getting real pressured. After gun season, it's it, they're very pressured around here. And so I was trying to hunt more, maybe deeper into the property or trying to find those pockets that I don't typically hunt. And, I you know, I got like uh, his farm bedding DVD, uh, Infault's farm bedding DVD, and I, I watched it and then I went and started scouting on based off what I was learning. And a lot of that stuff was right there. I was finding beds in places I'd never hunted. So I was trying to do more outside the box thinking to try to see maybe if I can, you know, get on one of these bucks that's showing up in the middle of the night, but I've only got so much property to work with that main farm. I hunts around 150 acres. And I know a lot of times guys think private farms are all oh, that must be nice to have. And it is nice to have, don't get me wrong, but sometimes it's kind of hard to hunt because too much human intrusion and the buck can just go bed right on the other side of the property line where nobody can hunt at. Yeah. And I take, I take not trespassing pretty seriously and he could, he could go live all his daylight hours over there and come on to me at night and I can't ever kill him. I, you know, I, I gotta be careful to not push this deer out to where he's bedding somewhere else. Yeah. I feel you, man. I, I deal with that every single season every single season i can I, I will literally watch them stage up uh, i have one stand in particular i watch them stage up in this uh, staging area and as soon as it starts to get dark they'll start filtering through this uh this staging area and by the time they get to me it's too late <laughs> it's just too dark yep. to shoot them which sucks because you can yeah. watch them all day long but uh you just kind of hope that the doe that 
they're behind makes the move and or they bump them across this this little uh property line and uh come my way but that very rarely happens uh, i think it happened once yeah in- I've, I've been there i i i that that may fall in the very north end the northeast end of it i i, I try not to do it but the way the train lays i have to hunt pretty close to the property line and i i passed i think in 2018 i passed a probably 150 inch deer that was literally on the other side of the fence could have shot him a lot of guys probably would have but i didn't ethically feel like doing that so it's like a lot of times them deer go on the other side of that property line i can watch them all day long and at the time it's weird i'm like man i hope a dog comes running through the woods and bumps in my way or something you know yeah (laughs) so all right so um you picked up a saddle right you started listening to new content of of people share their experiences and and hunting strategies uh did you when you went in and tried to apply those learnings and using that new gear um was there a learning curve at all or did it it, i mean obviously it didn't work out right away yeah it's i think it's a constant learning curve i'm trying i'm constantly trying to to learn more and evolve I'll, i'll probably never be satisfied with how i am as a hunter and once I started listening to the, uh, like I got onto like the hunting beast forum and listening to guys like, uh, Dan Infault and, and, uh, the, these guys that were highly successful in public areas or high pressured areas, they, they were doing so well. And a lot of, even though I do hunt a lot of private ground, um, and was wanting to dabble into public. I, I wanted to apply what they were saying, and whenever I started taking this and all this di- all con- digesting all this content and taking it out in the woods and trying to apply it, I felt green again. Like I didn't, I, I was like, I don't know anything about deer hunting here. All this time, I thought it was a lot simpler than what it is, and there there was so much. It opened me up to a whole another world where I was I wasn't listening to guys on the Outdoor Channel anymore. I was listening to these guys that weren't nearly as known about that were you know, real popular in the like high, high pressure hunting world. And so, yeah, I, I had a huge learning curve and I'm still going through that learning curve. And that's why I'm constantly wanting to, I'm constantly like watching YouTube videos and doing postseason scouting and shed hunting. It's, it drives my life nuts. It's all I talk about. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of us like that, my friend. Um, so I know. <laughs> as uh as the 2017 season kind of went on, did you have any encounters uh, with any, I guess, any deer that met, met your expectations? Uh, yeah, I did. I can't, I can't think of like a specific scenario of how the hunt went, but I do remember having at least one encounter, and it's just my kind of luck that I was used to experiencing at the time. I was having some bad luck. I couldn't make the connection. Same with. Um, the 2018 season 2019 season was getting a lot better i was getting i had by 2019 i had taken in so much content and worked so much harder got so much more passionate about whitetail hunting that i was i was more i was getting on to a lot better deer and at the same time all this property sitting there growing more and more successional growth and more food for deer and seemed like I, i was starting to Maybe how I was hunting too. I wasn't being as intrusive. I was being aggressive when the moments were right, um, and I wasn't hunting that property until the time was right. I started spending time, you know, out on public land, 
I'm also on a, on a lease on the other end of this County. And it sounds, sounds great. It's 1200 acres, but there's like, there's like 12 guys on the lease and at least half of it's deer hunt. And then all the ground around, it's also leased up and they all have the same kind of scenario. So it's just like a huge chunk of public, but always the same hunters on it. And me and my dad, uh, we hunt a lot together, not right next to each other, but we hunt a lot. He's really into deer hunting as well. And, and, uh, he's on that lease as well. And, and we're like the only mobile hunters on that thing and everybody else has their, their area, but you had six, seven, eight guys on there that are the deer hunters of the lease. They, it makes it, it makes it highly pressured out there too. They're, they're hunting a lot, a lot more than I am out there. So I was, I was having encounters throughout all this ground, but my main farm that I keep coming back to, I was having maybe more encounters there because it's in a good higher density area. There is better quality deer in the area. And I think I was getting better encounters with deer that met my qualifications, I guess, because I was climbing it better. I wasn't burning the place out, just hoping to get lucky. Okay. So let me ask you this. Um, you had these encounters, right? With like, were these encounters with the the targets or the expectations that you met? Were these like mature bucks that you said you wanted to kill, or were they just encounters with deer that you were ultimately going to pass anyway? There was probably more deer that I was going to pass anyway than there was mature bucks. Right, but what about the encounters? Uh, did you encounter? Did you have any shot opportunities on any deer? that that you set your goal on in 2017 in 2017 i did not have necessarily i had encounters but there wasn't the shot it isn't like i messed up the shot opportunity or something like that so then what would you say why you weren't why were you not successful in 2017 uh i'd say is because it was the first year that i it was my first year of setting that new target and it was the first year of getting into a completely new mobile hunting system. And it was my first year of dealing with the logging and the ongoing logging on certain pieces of ground. Okay. Especially my main place. There's just a lot going on all at once. Gotcha. All right. So then going into 2018, why do you feel you were not successful in 2018? I'd say some of it was bad luck. A lot of it was um, still dealing with a lot of changes. That So when the guy left that one farm, he actually moved to the other farm where I told you back in 2016, I had that good encounter and everything changed. And he logged that place out too. And then that's the year that this clear cut happened behind my house. And I used to hunt back here quite a bit. And I still do. It's just not as easy anymore. And uh, so I was still dealing with constant changes in 2018 and then i think that was the year too they went over to our lease and wiped out they clear cut 155 acres or something like that on that place on the the area that i hunted probably the most where me and my dad mostly hunted they completely changed everything over there and that ground's old coal mine ground it's got huge spoil banks in it and it had like pockets of hardwoods pockets of swamp and it, it, it totally so like it's like man how can i ever catch a break and my ground stay the same to where my postseason scouting applies to the following year because it just kept changing okay so um 
So you're, you're met with this constant change and pressure on the environment, right? You have this, uh, you're oh, one yeah. year now deeper into your saddle hunting. Um, you're, uh, you're one year now into trying to shoot, uh, more mature deer. You know, the first two years you kind of struck out, uh, 2018 comes along. Um, was there a point where you said, Hey man, I, I have to understand that all this pressure is keeping the mature deer out. Uh, and so like, instead of focusing on an age class, you focused on the top tier of deer that were in the environment that you had access to hunt. Yeah, I definitely, at that point in time, I had heard somebody say that before. And it's like, that's something I think a lot of hunters got to accept that, that the top tier deer in your area might not be the top tier deer that you're seeing everybody on social media posting that they've killed or, or the the guys that are real successful having YouTube channels or outdoor channel shows top tier in your place is, can be totally different from what everybody else is. You got to kill, you know, the number one ingredient to killing a mature buck is having a mature buck on your place to hunt. And so, I mean, it's, it's definitely, a, it's definitely a challenge to, to do so. And my mind kind of went into, I'm going to try to kill the best buck on the farm and not necessarily a specific buck, but if one comes by and gives me uh, that feeling, you know, sometimes we see a deer, you're like, oh, that's a shooter. There's no doubt. And you don't ever question it. That's kind of what I was after at that point. And a lot of it, too, I just want a good hunt. I mean, if I had just one crazy hunt where, you know, I, I came up, I, I, I was trying to still hunt into my area and had all kinds of rut activity blow up in front of me or spotted a bedded buck and did a stalk on him, I might lower my I probably lower my standards there because how cool of a story is that than, you know, just the typical shot of deer on a field edge kind of hunt. So there's a few factors there that were kind of making me change maybe my goals. Yeah. So did you end up lowering your, your goals and saying, okay, well maybe a three-year-old will work or maybe a two-year-old will work this year. Yeah. 2018, I was, I was saying, you know, if I got, if I, if I have a chance at a, at a good three-year-old and it's a good hunt, it isn't one that just, you know, the, the neighbor just blew up off of his property and he just come running past me and happened to stop. You know, if, as long as I have a good hunt, I'm definitely willing to shoot a three-year-old at this point. Okay. Did you have any type of encounters or shot opportunities on any mature deer or any three-year-olds uh, on, uh, in 2018? Uh, there's nothing that comes necessarily to mind i i did finally in 2019 but 2018 no i there, there's nothing that really sticks out to me about that season okay so it was it was just you going through the motions of a hunting season at that point right you you've you know how to set up in a saddle you know how i mean you, mm-hmm. you've started learning where there was still logging going on in 2018 right some major logging yeah, it had it had moved farms, but that place had just got just gotten done being touched. Yeah, and so yeah, there was there was still logging, just not on that place. But that place didn't have a whole lot of cover anymore. Yeah, you know, I needed a couple of years of successional growth to give me some cover. Yeah, so let me ask you this: trail cameras, right? You run trail cameras. Mm-hmm. Were there any big mature bucks worth? getting excited about on any of the farms that you had access to at this point back in 2018 
there there was there was one and same same kind of deal um in there on where i could actually hunt him at i don't think he was bedded on me uh there i, I think i might have i know in, at the end of 2018 around thanksgiving i had i had some real good rut encounters and i think i might have had this buck come by me but he was i mean it was right at dark and he came by chasing some does and he flew by me and i think that it was that buck and i but i can't say that i even had a shot opportunity because it was you know i was getting ready to call i was starting to pack my gear and i just heard a bunch of grunting behind me but it kind of it gave me that confidence boost that i was in the right area yeah so so what would you so i'm trying to i'm trying to think uh, like put the the timeline together here um you it was it's almost like what i'm hearing from you is that obviously there's a lot of bad luck but at the same time there was just no deer in in the area that got you that got you fired up to to hunt yeah i i i you know i go shining a lot shines legal here in indiana and you'll see i'll shine places that i, I can't hunt because i usually have a buddy with me and we just want to see some deer but i'm i'm driving two places that i can and i'll see some deer i know i know in particular one night on that place there was like i think it was 2000 yeah it was 2018 i seen them there was two really good there's a the heavy eight that, that he's actually the deer i had on camera and there was a real wide 10 and i never seen that deer again i never had him on camera i think he was just there for like maybe the night or the next day i couldn't even hunt the next day because i had to work but um there yeah there was some bad luck but i just i just kept going i mean there's yeah. nothing other than i did my, my attitude was well you got to work harder if you're not gonna if you're not in success what can you do different you yeah know? Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's it really is tough. I mean, like I said uh, in earlier in the the podcast, if the deer that you want to shoot aren't in the area, you can't shoot that deer, right? Did right, you, did right. you take any active steps to find new farms or uh, go to public and try to locate something that that met your expectations? Yeah, definitely. I going into twenty nineteen. I, I did start hunting public in 2019 and I, I mostly just do that in October and then save all my better spots. It's gotten a lot better as far as, um, you know, low, lower, uh, having more bucks on the, on the property and stuff. I think it's cause I got more cover and I'm a lot smarter about high hunt. Those first few years of, of getting more serious about whitetail was really, they were a bunch of learning years. I was, I was learning all this, like I said, I got in this world of passionate deer hunters that I didn't even know, know, know about at the time and started just constantly, you know, listening, listening to podcasts, reading, watching videos, trying to apply things in the real world and just try to, you know, get my own style and learn how to roll with the punches as far as everything constantly changing on me. I didn't want to make excuses of, oh, I've got bad luck and that's why I can't kill a deer. I just it just wasn't happening yet. I needed to make that connection. So I was just trying to, you know, work harder. Yeah. Well, you can work as hard as you want to, but if what you're trying to kill isn't there, I mean, cause it, it's, it, it sounds to me like, and, and this is no offense to you, but you kind of failed to realize that your goal mm -hmm. and what your expectation, like it just wasn't going to happen on those farms. It's not necessarily the yeah, fact that you did or did not try 
to go out and be mobile and and get active it sounds to me like you were taking all the proper precautions but there was there's a there was a bit of disconnect between what you're trying to accomplish and the the realization that there are there are no there are no deer in the area that met that goal yeah there you're right you know i i got complacent with having them having the place and i did like i did knock on some doors uh there's one guy i'm trying to build a relationship with and i think eventually i'm going to get permission over on his place and i'm just right now i'm just trying to build that uh a lot of places around are there's there's a lot of ground in that area owned by the same people and they don't let anybody that family hunt on it and so that area i pretty much stuck on where i'm at right there and that's probably one of the highest deer density areas that i know of if i go if i drive through that area at night i've got to actually watch out for deer because there's a lot of deer in the area and it's it's real close to home and like i said i have these family ties over there but yeah i was getting complacent with that place and that's why i was like i've got to start doing more i i need i'm spending this money on this lease and i hardly hunt it i need to hunt the lease more there is good deer over there even though it's got a lot of pressure I need to hunt public too. I need to be, there's big deer on public land. You just gotta, you just gotta have some good luck and you've got to look at those overlooked spots and hard to access spots and try to think outside the box when hunting over there. Yeah. All right. So, so 18 was a bust, um, 19, you know, still kind of sounds like the same thing as, was there any active logging going on in 2019? Finally, there wasn't. There wasn't. Okay. And yes, so that farm had been the main the main farm that I hunt. It had finally not had any logging activity since like the end of seventeen. So it had eighteen and nineteen growing season of you know getting some growth on it. Yeah, and, then, and I was finally starting to get better encounters in nineteen. Okay, so uh, the the property kind of healed from its logging, right? It created good habitat for deer to live in, probably. You know, this is just an assumption at this point. All right, so um, you've had three seasons under your belt of of the the saddle hunting and the the mobile game, um, yet you haven't had any success on your new goal of killing a, a, a mature buck. Now, 2019 comes. Any goal changes? Uh, just try to try to become a, a better hunter and don't make excuses of, of why I'm not reaching my goal. I was actually getting – I was getting good enough bucks for me on my camera. Yeah. And I was seeing them shining. And that time also, I started I started going out and doing a lot of glassing in the evenings in like August and September. And I hadn't really done that in the past. I mean, sometimes you get bored, you have a friend over, you're just by yourself, you just want to go drive around in the evenings. I'll, I'll go do that. But like, I was actually going over there with like a spotting scope and watching from the road and yeah. making sure I shined that place and really kept tabs on it. And, and I was starting to see, you know, a lot better... I was starting to actually see deer more often and, and better, better quality deer. Okay. So the, the, the logging actually now has starting, is starting to help the area, right? It's gotten very thick and a lot of deer were starting to utilize it for bedding and probably browse. Okay. So then with all that said, 
right? You're doing all the same things. You're active. You're actually being more active in the uh, non-hunting months, preparing for the season through, you know, you know, your glassing and, and uh, your summer scouting or whatever. Why, what led to you being unsuccessful or not accomplishing your goal in 2019? Uh, I had, I had, I remember one hunt in particular and I think that's whenever I started to realize fear is probably my number one flaw. And I think it's because I get like analysis or paralysis by analysis. I start to over, I'm starting to overanalyze and overthink everything. And this one hunt, I did finally get into the area I wanted to be in. I was just being aggressive. And I actually had a buck that I knew he was probably old enough. And I had seen him before. I had trail camera pictures of him before. He didn't have necessarily a giant rack on him, but I wasn't after score. I was after age. And I hadn't had an opportunity to kill him yet. I had come close. This buck comes out at 35 yards wide open and the reason i didn't shoot was because there was a bigger buck way back behind him but there was also like five does they were chasing around and i took this gamble of like oh i better not shoot this deer because there's a bigger one behind him and then uh that uh, that that buck left and the other buck he actually did come towards me but he ends up skirting me and i'm you know i'm sitting there kicking myself like i had you know i had bird in hand yeah. And I didn't take, I didn't take the shot. And there was, I don't know. It's just like when it, when it came down to it, I was, I was kind of used to failing at that point. And at that, like when this deer came in, I was just like, I just felt like something was holding me back. And there's also this, this drive, like, I don't want, I don't want my hunt to end yet. If, if I come across a, a good buck in mid early October, it's like, I don't even want to kill yet. And I'll hold myself back a lot. And my goal's higher then. And then towards the end of my rut vacation, I'm like back in reality, just trying to kill a good buck, <laughs> one of the best bucks in the area or on the property. The old sliding scale. Yeah, that, that'll that get you sometimes, man. I, I've, I'm trying to think. I did that from 2007 until 2010 where, let's see, I shot a buck in 2007. I shot a buck in 2009. Uh, 2010 and 11, I did not, but those, those years of 2008, nine and 10 and 11, no. Yeah. Well, eight, 2009, I ended up shooting a buck, but I was chasing one buck throughout that time frame. And, you know, this is before I even harvested a, a 140 class deer or, you know, and I'm talking about my you know, what I have available to me here in Iowa and all these deer that like, I, I had never even killed. I don't even think I, at that point I'd killed a, a 135 or a 130 class deer yet. And I, and I, I was focused on one particular deer and it ended up, I, I look back at now and I say, man, there's a whole bunch of deer I, I should have shot. And I, I feel like that would have made me a, a better deer hunter if I just would have, but I, I had it in my mind. I, I wanted to do that. And I ate a lot of tag soup from 2007 until 2015. So I feel, yeah. you, I feel you, man. That'll, that'll mess with you. If you see a big buck out shining, you're driving around trail camera and then you have a buck of uh that's lesser than it come by you, you you have this feeling of holding back and 
So yeah, it, it can definitely bite you. Yeah. So you decided to hold back on a on a what sounds like a chip shot on on one of these, you know, on this older buck because you saw a bigger buck in the background and you thought oh, maybe he'll work his way here it didn't happen did you have any other encounters that uh, made you pick your bow up and think it was gonna you were gonna get it done in 2019 uh no i i i did have in muzzleloader season i finally got on to another buck um as as a real pretty probably 140 inch uh 10 pointer and he was in the, he was in this big thicket that's on that farm and I ended up trying to make some really aggressive moves on him. It was real late season, uh, towards like the tail end of muzzleloader, uh, getting closer to Christmas. And I got in on him. He was actually with some, uh, there must've been like some hot late does or a fawn or something. Cause he was real active in that area. And there, I did some belly crawling to get back in there. Used a ditch for access, got in right on top of him, And, just one of those things in the rut you have no idea where they're going to go and i wasn't necessarily trying i wasn't expecting to go in there and have this kind of rut activity this you know that late in the year but he starts running his dose to the thicket and and i'm sitting there with a bow and it's muzzleloader season and you know maybe had i had my gun then then i would have actually killed him but i'm i'm sitting there with a bow and i don't necessarily have the goal that it has to be with a bow during firearms i'll actually pack a uh the Tom Center contender pistol and my bow. I'm always bow hunting the deer, but I'm willing to, to use another weapon, but I still want it to be a short range encounter. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So no luck in 2019, but then this year, 2020, uh, 20, it all comes together for you. Walk us through kind of what happened that ultimately led to you having finally after four seasons of drought, a successful uh, 2020 season i'd say so far the number one thing is attitude that really kept me going i i try not to be negative i, I try to be real positive and and have a good outlook and just keep going just keep grinding and it it can be hard i know a lot of hunters including myself struggle with it every year you're looking at facebook and instagram and stuff and you're seeing all these bucks being killed and it, it kind of, it can cut you down. You can be like, man, why can't it happen to me? So going into October, uh, you know, I, I just tried to stay positive, tried to just block those bad thoughts out. And my 2020 season started at the end of 2019 season. So I had done, I had done some scouting in the postseason, some shed hunting. Um, I had, you know, then I moved on to the turkey hunting stuff, but then I got back into doing my food plots and, uh, driving around glassing stuff like that and trying to dial in my my mobile gear was it had always been saddle and it has it's always changing how i'm little things about it so i'm running my trail cameras throughout the summer i, I put them out like the weekend after july 4th or the weekend of july 4th just whichever is better and i don't touch them until almost the end of august i have started putting one like maybe on a food source that's easy for me to get in and out of and I, I don't bother any of the bedding, but the way this main property that I hunt is set up, it's I don't know, probably close to like a mile long, and it's it's longer than it is wide. I don't know exactly how wide it is, but the main heart of the property is this thicket that's probably four or five hundred yards long and 150 yards wide. It's got two fingers going east out of it, and it's got two fingers going west out of it. The, the length of it runs north and south. So 
thicket is where a lot of the bedding takes place. It was already thick, part of an old cattle pasture. They logged it. It got even thicker. And it's it's kind of like what I consider the core. So I started running trail cameras on the outside of it. And I actually got a picture on August 20th of the buck that I ended up killing. But he was actually with a buck that maybe didn't score a whole lot higher, but was, had a lot more character. The only real cool character about the buck I killed was he had a split um, brow tine. And this buck had like a split G3. And it went up and split and looked like a wishbone off of like a turkey. Yeah. So uh, I, me and my dad just started calling this deer wishbone. We don't really name all our deer, but that was, you know, an easy way for us to know what deer we're talking about. So August 20th camera pool or the August 20th picture, whenever I did my uh, camera pool in like early September, whenever I was doing my food plots and stuff, I, that's when it, I was like, oh, here we go. I've got two bucks that they're definitely mature as a, there is a daylight photo on the edge of this thicket at like one in the afternoon. And, but I never glassed them. I never got another picture of them. I never shined them. And the, this thicket borders this giant ag field to the West and I can't hunt that ag field. It's, it's leased up and, and um, there's a pocket of timber over there that doesn't get touched. So I'm kind of afraid he's bedding over there. But there's a real good chance, especially come rut, this buck's going to be moving into this thicket back and forth between these two chunks of timber because they actually connect across property lines. So October, though, I had done my driving around, signing and stuff. I didn't have necessarily a game plan as far as my private ground. I was willing to go in on the edges and maybe shoot a doe. This property does have a high number of does now. I was willing to shoot a doe, but I went and started doing my public public land hunting to scratch my itch in October. Um, one of my real good friends, his name's uh, Shelby Stewart. I started, we started hunting public together back in 2019 and we went in and did some uh, hunting on some areas that we'd scouted the year before, got onto some does, no, no buck encounters. Uh, a few days into the season, I had, I kind of referenced it earlier where I hunted a swamp and I just scouted it yesterday, had a real good buck encounter. I'd actually heard that buck stand up on the edge of the marsh he got he walked past me almost at dark and as i'm getting out of the tree shelby's way back behind me he, he takes me says big buck and i i thought that was cool that we used a map to go in and uh and get close to a bedded buck on land we've never touched before so interesting yeah so that was that was that was good kind of a confidence boost right to end a season or beginning a season and uh we weren't having a whole lot of we weren't having a whole lot of luck on the public, and we didn't take it real serious. I mean, we we wanted to we wanted to just try to test our skills. He's kind of a new onset hunter, and I mean, I've been hunting since I was eleven, but so we're kind of wanting to just use our brains together and pick apart these this public land and not have the pressure of I don't want to bump all these deer off the property, and we ended up starting to hunt his ground he's got he just bought a house and has 18 acres on it and this 18 acres is basically like a funnel off of two neighboring properties and we're hunting so close to his house that like you can use the lights off of his house as your light to climb down out of the tree <laughs> <laughs> but um we you know we, we just we don't have a whole lot of time after we both get off work one night he's just like hey let, let's just go try my place and his place, it was coal mine ground a long time ago. It's mostly flat. It does have a lot of um, 
sawtooth oaks on it and it's got a lot of bush honeysuckle growing on it so it's got some thick areas and it's got a lot of oak trees he's got like a one acre food plot on the north side a big lake on the west side and a big lake on the southeast side and then we kind of hunt in the middle it's kind of hard to get in and out from his yard and not not bump deer but um first night we go in i i went to one side of the property he goes to the other he hunts mobile like i do he uses a, a lone wolf tree stand and he sets up his i get into a tree a gnarly tree with my saddle and i i had these does come by and i was willing to shoot though and this is this is like towards it's getting towards the end of october most of the rest of october the first like half of october was mostly hunting public after work yeah and maybe trying to since i had more time available try to hunt edges on on some private but after these does left i had this 130 140 inch 10 pointer walk in out of nowhere and he was working a scrape and he's working it real hard and and uh i texted shelby and i said hey i got a i got a nice buck out in front of me and he said shoot it man you got the green light and i knew i did but i just wanted i was just trying to let him know well this buck ends up skirting me and it goes out um probably like 50 yards out in front of me and goes right at the edge of his food plot and then it keeps on going until it gets onto the neighbors so instantly most guys might be like Oh yeah, seeing a nice buck. Uh, you know, hopefully he comes by by the next time I hunt in there. My first thought while the deer's still in front of me is, if I was in that tree, twenty yards up, that would be the killing tree. I need that's that's where I need to go. You know, so I'm like, what's the wind direction? What's the weather like? Why did why that deer come from where he did come? Um, what can I do to 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 capitalize on it next time? Right. Two days two days later, it's going to be the same conditions. I want Shelby to kill the deer because it's his ground. He hasn't killed many deer. So we go back to that same area. I went to the same tree and I told him that's your killing tree up here, 20 yards in front of me. And I thought, man, if this comes together, I'll have a backseat view of all of it. And we were willing to shoot those if one came by, but we were kind of banking on the scrape, the scrape line being refreshed from all the rain. These does come by and he's passing them up. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, shoot one of these does. There's no bucks around. Shoot, shoot a doe. I want to see, I want to see this front row seat of a hunt happen in front of me. And really, really sitting there wishing I was a filmer. But, uh, he's passing these does and he turns, he turns his head and points out towards the food plot. And there's some stuff in between me and the food plot. I can't see real well. So I put my glass up on it and there's a nice buck walking his way. That buck ends up following the script it did exactly what we was hoping would happen he hit two or three scrapes came to like 20 yards right in front of shelby he finally got a shot and smoked it buck ran 19 yards collapsed never made never made a move so we were on cloud nine it's his best buck first buck off that property first deer off that property and we gotta you know have that camaraderie the celebration of the kill and we, you know we go back to the house have a celebratory beer before we grab his foil and go get it out of there and and uh, it was awesome. So I'm like, this is the season. This is the season that's going to happen. Yeah. And that that wrapped up October because that was October 30th. I'm going to keep hunting. Halloween comes. Nothing really happens on Halloween. So I don't know if you want me to go straight yeah. into Yeah, I mean, November, yeah, take it away. I mean, when uh, – so it sounds like uh, it just things things started to click. A little bit as far as your your strategy and your motion in the timber so 
as uh, you know, your your buddy shot one. Uh, out of curiosity, uh, what date did you shoot your buck? My buck or his buck? Your buck. I shot my buck on January third oh, of this year. Of of this year. So you're twenty. So technically, you're twenty. It's the twenty twenty season, but you shot your buck on the <laughs> on January third, right? Yeah, it's the very last day of Indiana bow season. Okay, well, let's uh, let's fast forward a bit to this point. For, the first thing I want to ask is, um, uh, did you have any encounters? Just kind of real quick, did you have any encounters between that this November first to the the November or January third be- before you ended up killing this deer? Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, I had a, I had a couple and. And I can kind of go through the motions of how November went. Yeah. If, if you if I'm gonna take it off. So any encounter. Let me ask you this: in the, any encounters with the deer that you ultimately shot? No, not that I know, not that I know of. And I, I'll kind of I'll get to that part of. Yeah. Why I, I'm not sure on what deer it was. Um. Yeah, going into November, I actually had a dream set up for for a husband with two kids um my wife is actually from arizona and her grandma decides she's going to come visit and just so happens she picks the dates to come visit of while i'm on rut vacation okay and she's all about the grandkids so i've got a free pass to hunt as hard as i want my rut vacation is going to be from the second through the tenth and so november november 1st uh, nothing really happens that day and i'm kind of I'm kind of going, I'm going to start going back over to Shelby's until my trail cameras are starting to tell me or, or shine and however I'm going to find out that's really right. And really on the main for my hunt, I start having a lot better luck from like, the, like seventh and eighth and on through like the 11th. And then it picks back up again, Thanksgiving week, that place is hot Thanksgiving week. And what we've had on Shelby's ground, there wasn't a whole lot of intrusion going on. He had been staying out. He wanted to keep hunting a little bit. So I, you know, I went over there. We had this hunt that taught me a lot about thermals um, on November 2nd, and it was a good encounter. We had went in a little bit deeper onto this property. We're on the edge of the food plot in the morning. I had this six point come by, and and uh, not long after the six point's gone, we're hearing this. It's it's too far away to, to know that it's on Shelby's property for sure, but it's it's going to, if it does come our way, it's going to be upwind of us. And it's this loud, like deep bellowing type of grunt. And there's a lot of running around, like he's chasing something. And it just, you know, it just kind of sounded like this mature buck. Well, he, he ends up coming on to show his property and he's like 50, 60 yards out in front of me. He is a great deer. And I couldn't get enough look at him to know necessarily what he scored, but I know he is definitely going to fit the criteria. And, he like stops. He hits, he hits this, he's coming right at me. He just hits this wall and my heart sinks. I'm like, what happened? He hasn't crossed my excess path. I know the wind is in my face. He's upwind of me. And he hits like this wall of, Oh, I smell something and turns and leaves. And I'm, I'm like, what happened? You know, I know neither one of us moved. We had awesome cover. And I got to think I, after that, I started dropping some milkweed and I noticed that there there was a lake on the other side of where that deer was. There was a lake upwind of us, and it was dead calm that morning. And every thing of milkweed that I dropped whenever we left his house 
was flowing right with what my weather app said. But we were close enough, I think, to that lake that the thermal effect was actually pulling our wind back upwind. And it sucked our scent right to that deer. And I thought we were in the right tree to be able to kill a deer using this funnel. Dang. Dang. Those thermals, man, if you don't know how to to play them, uh, they'll get you. Oh, that was probably one of the biggest eye-opening things that I learned about when I started listening to all the content that's out there started going out and messing with milkweed and, and yeah, it, I never even considered thermals and now it's a big part of why, why I set up and where I set up. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So you have that kind of eye opening encounter, um, like December, you know, November, December, uh, anything significant that happened that, uh, I don't know, led you to being in the right, at the right place at the right time on January 3rd. Uh, yeah. So after, after uh, I ended up having one more encounter with a nice aide on his property, but I started going back to hunting, um, my main farm, I was, you know, rounding up the dates and I get, I get into, um, the middle of my rep vacation. It's going on November 7th, you know, and I don't know how it was in Iowa, but here it was really warm during the rut. Yep. And yeah, it was, was, it was like 75 in the middle of the day here. And I didn't necessarily think, oh, it's going to make the deer not rut. I knew they were going to keep doing their thing. I was just afraid that most of their activity was going to be done at night or early morning, late evening. So I wanted to, um, I kind of wanted to use my PTO uh, the right way. And I seen there was a cold front coming three days before gun season on the 14th. So I ended up actually changing my vacation schedule. And this later comes to bite me really bad. I went back to work. Um, the Monday after, uh, I think I went back like November 9th and that was a Monday and I went back to work and I was just, you know, I was kind of discouraged. I wasn't having that dream rut vacation I'd been thinking about happening all year. All I was seeing was dink deer. Um, after those two encounters on his place, I kept seeing just dinks all the time. And, um, I ended up going, uh, the place that I had the really good encounter back in 19, I was kind of waiting on that closer to the Thanksgiving date. Well, I went back in there on the 12th and I thought I can hunt that with this. I had, a, I had the right wind for it. I was like, I think I can hunt it now and, and not put a whole lot of pressure on it. And then um, I'll hunt it again Thanksgiving week. I go back in there on the, on the Thursday before firearms and I had an awesome hunt. Had a really nice eight pointer chasing a doe around. He, unfortunately, he, he was, it was one of them deals where he stayed across the property line most of the time. And anytime he came on to me, I wasn't on the right ridge. And I was real confident. I was so confident in the spot after seeing him and hearing and all the fixed stuff around me, all the different grunting going on, getting glimpses of other deer. Um, even though some of them were dinks, I was real confident. I almost left my bow and pack everything in the tree so I could sneak out real quietly and then sneak back in, in the morning. And this was a preset tree that I'd done with just uh, bolts as my climbing method. So I just go up there and slap my platform on the tree and, and tether in and hunt. So I almost just left everything in the tree. And I'm so glad I didn't. For some reason, I decided to take it with me. So one key thing about this property that works against me is the landowner has some out-of-state family. And they, they don't live anywhere around here, but they, they come up opening weekend again season. And they get all his property to themselves, and I have to stay out just for that one weekend. And that 
I, I hate that, but I hope when they come up here, you know, I hope they have a good time and have some luck. But um, it definitely plays a fact on a factor on how I, I hunt this ground. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you had to stay out right when that, it started getting good. Yes, I was start. I was I was kind of bummed about that. So the Friday morning, I knew after Friday morning it was going to really change because what they do things differently than a lot of, of how I do it and how a lot of serious deer hunters do it. They come in on Friday before gun season and they drive the whole entire property with their Polaris Ranger. And that's their form of scouting. <laughs> and when does yeah. the hunting se- when do, when does the uh, season start? Or November fifteenth? Uh, it started November fourteenth. Fourteenth. Okay. All right. So that that ultimately shut down things for you for for a while. Um, well, that Friday I had one of my better encounters. Um, I actually, you know, I said I almost left the stuff in the tree. Well, they had they usually come in Friday afternoon. So I went over there. I was still going to go hunt in that tree um, or in the area at least. And at six o'clock in the morning, they were over there in their truck driving around the field in the dark. And I was like, well, uh, that's a bust. I'm glad I didn't leave my stuff in the tree. So I almost left and went all the way to my lease across the county. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to try to use this to my advantage. I can still hunt the place on Friday. They're probably going to leave and go back to the landowner's house with their family and hang out with him. Maybe I can use this to my advantage. So I go to the very south end of the property. I access through the neighbors that I got permission from. I go into the core of that thicket and took forever getting in there. It was dead calm. And all I could hear to the north is this Flaris Ranger driving around. And um, I snuck into right on top of some known buck beds, climbed, climbed a tree, and it seemed like all the action was just a little bit north of me. I ended up actually like around 9.30, uh, got down. I'd been in the tree for a couple hours, and I just felt like I was off, you know. I actually got down, snuck down to this creek, snuck up the creek, and tried to come onto the side of where they were. I found these three trees growing out of the ditch, climbed up them, and as I'm setting up, there's a buck like 35, 40 yards grunting in front of me, and it's a deep bellowing grunt. And not long after that, here comes a four-pointer, and as I, I can't see this deer. So out in front of me, there's two logging trails that meet. I'm at the creek below it. And just over these two logging trails, there's a small crest that dip, dumps down into this thick valley. And he's in that thick valley. He's just over that crest. I just can't see him. A four-pointer comes down the logging road. He grunts at it, runs it off. The, the four-pointer comes behind me now, and he starts freaking out. I'm thinking, what's going on here? I've, there's been this, this, uh, this encounter lasted well into a half hour just – Every now and then he would grunt and run around, and I thought any minute he's going to pop up in front of me, and it sounded like the grunt of a mature deer. And then all of a sudden I know notice this four-pointer beside me is freaking out, and I don't know why. I know he's not getting my wind. And then I hear it. Here comes the Polaris Ranger. Never before had they drove to the south side of this property, but they chose to while I had a mature buck out in front of me. <laughs> and- they drove by 30 yards and never seen me, but they shut all that action off. Yeah, dang. Dang, man. And I really think, yeah, I, I really think it was, is either the buck I ended up killing because that tree that I was in ended up being the tree that I killed my deer from just a few weeks ago, or it was the other buck that he, that was running around the area that was slightly bigger than the one that I shot. Yeah. Well, there's that, right? You got, I mean, just another obstacle that you got to deal with. Now let's get to, uh, 
let's get to the the success part of this story okay um january 3rd comes around throughout this time frame of november and december and even the last day of the season there were you starting to doubt that it was going to happen for you in 2020 oh yeah yeah this uh negative thoughts about it started definitely entered my mind you know i'd I'd seen everybody's success on Facebook from firearm season and, and, uh, here it was going into muzzleloader season, still didn't have any tags filled, hadn't shot, hadn't even shot a doe. And, and then I really had uh, a negative attitude for a little bit. Um, I moved past it, but I went and checked my trail cameras whenever I was trying to get back in the game. Um, and I found the buck that I was after the 13 or 14 point he he was uh daylight active the day that i went back to work right in front of one of my stands <laughs> that's how it goes and i was like boy uh that's you know that's a kick in the rear i should have not let the warm weather affect my attitude on how the rut was going to go down and i had some other good encounters on my lease on that clear cut and um just couldn't seal the deal there, there was just oh, oh, something that was in the way, making it go wrong. So, yeah, up until January 3rd, I started to have kind of a bad attitude, but there's nothing I can do about it, so I just moved on. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to keep going. I'm, yeah. And, and yeah, I, um, on to the success part, I, I had finally just switched gears. I thought, you know what, it's late season now. I'm going to start trying to kill a doe. One night I had hunted, been, I had been hunting hard and I stayed home to help my wife watch the kids. It was around Christmas time. And my dad texted me and said that he was hunting over there and um, he had seen a nice eight pointer in the field. My dad shoots a deer and drops it. He said it's a big one. It's probably a 150 inch deer. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. And he ends up losing. He said he shot it, dropped it, and the deer jumps up, runs off, never finds blood, looks for two days on the deer, um, got permission from all the neighbors, never found any trace of this deer and that's end of december so it's a few days before i kill mine and i had been having this doe on this farm on the north end of this farm she she was an old one and she kept busting me and i kept moving mobile on her and and i finally one hunt i had uh i was 70 yards into this woods i could see the cornfield these does come they kind of skirt me and they go out in the cornfield. I'm like, ah, oh, no big deal. Maybe you want to come by. All of a sudden, there's an eight-pointer out there that I would shoot. And I'm sitting there with my bow. It's bow season. And then there's about a 140-inch deer out there. And he walks across the field and walks 20 yards beside my vehicle. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. He, there's a daylight <laughs> active buck out here. Right where my dad just shot a big one and lost it. Dad's been walking all over this place. And now this thing's sitting right beside my vehicle that I drove over there in. And... I actually had snuck out of the tree and belly crawled up to the edge of that field and almost got a shot at the eight pointer, but the big one had already crossed the road and onto the neighbors. And so I just kept going back on that doe. Um, I wasn't getting anything good on trail camera. And I finally connected on that doe. It was my first, my first saddle kill actually on December 31st. So in a few days before I shot my buck, I, I shot a giant doe, um, made a perfect shot. She ran 15 yards and died almost at the base of my tree because she ran towards me and died. And yeah. that kind of sparked my ambition again. That really put me in a positive attitude. And I think it had a lot to do with why, why my hunt went the way it did. Yeah. So we're talking 
you got this boost of motivation with three days yeah. left in in the season. So yeah. so then, how did that lead to your your success on or your kill on January third? Yep. So January third gets here, and I've pretty much come to peace that I'm not going to kill a buck again, and that's fine. I I just I just think I'll just work harder. I just keep working harder and try to, you know, make preparation and opportunity meet and have some luck. So January 3rd comes, I hunted that morning on the north side of that big thicket. And I know it sounds like I, I hunt that place. I overhunt it, but I actually, I actually don't. There's, there's just not enough time to tell you every single hunt I've been on this year. I do yeah. bounce around quite a bit, Yeah. but um, I'd let the place set for a long time. And after the gun season, it went by. Um, but January 3rd, that, that morning, I ended up getting busted by two does. I went to a preset tree stand, got busted by two does. And I I was honestly like, I was kind of ready. For, I was like, I'm glad it's the last day. Like, I'm going to go and grind this day out. But I'm getting fatigued. I have been hunting so hard this year. And um, that evening, Dad was wanting to hunt. And he wanted to take a buddy with him. Dad had already filled all his – he shot just does this year. And um, he, he was done hunting – he wanted to take a buddy with him and let his buddy shoot a doe off that place. And, uh, so th- that goes on. And I said, that's fine. If you guys are going to hunt up towards the North end, I'm going to go to the very South. I'm going to go in for broke. It's the last day I'm going into the core of this thicket, uh, one more time. So I thought about it, had a Northwest wind. I wanted to set on the East side of that thicket. I want to, uh, to where if a buck was cruising through there, um, he was, you know, he was going to want to walk with that crosswind. And I really thought about how that deer would come in or how a deer would come in if it did. It's dead calm though. You know how the, the wasteland of late season looks. It's, it's quiet. Every week you step on, sounds like everything in a mile heard you. Yeah. So real quick, you went into this area with no knowledge of anything in there with no knowledge. Like it was just a, a last ditch effort. One last sit before the season ended. Yeah, it was. If there was a big buck on the place, it was most likely to be in that very core area that I hadn't been into since uh, no, like November November twelfth. Uh, whenever I had that in, that encounter with that grunting buck and the, yeah. the people coming by on the ranger. Okay. So it's been it's been set for a long time, kind of left as a sanctuary. So I thought I'm going in. It took me. It was like four or five hundred yards to get there. And it took me about two hours to make that walk because I was really, really cautious about access and noise and wanting to use the ditch. It, I, I fell down three times trying to get up a muddy embankment because that's where I felt like I needed to go up. I belly crawled in the edge of the ditch trying to get around trees and stuff. And, you know, I've got, I've got a pack on behind me that's getting drug in limbs. I took my pruners with me and pruned some paths through all this uh, brush that's growing. And it took forever, but I finally got to, it was the tree that I had had the encounter in. I knew about that tree and it wasn't preset or nothing. I had to, I had to climb up the tree and I climbed up this tree and I, I don't, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that, you know, it's the last day. I, I have no idea of any, I have no kind of intel if there's any shooters over here, but if one's going to be in this area, it's here. And this, this spot makes the most sense. And I, I climb up, set in and I I just was gonna just enjoy the evening, and um, I remembered that I I needed to uh, do something on my on my phone, so I, I pulled my phone out of my pocket and I went to go uh, 
log into PayPal. And whenever I was sitting there loading, I looked up and there was this, I seen a rack at like 50, 60 yards. And I was like, oh, so I put my phone back away and, and, uh, it, this, this deer's coming right this logging road. And I'm like, and as he comes up and gets almost to the opening, I, I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's a shooter. The buck's either going to give me a 35 yard shot or it's going to come right to the base of my tree probably. And he comes right to the base of my tree almost. And he turned, went by and hit a licking branch on his way in. And I ended up getting drawn back while he was hitting that licking branch. And he, I stopped him right before he went behind some brush. I was maybe 12 feet above him. He was at 10 yards. It was right there. And it was a quarter and two shot. Arrow punched in, almost completely blew throughout the other side. Deer runs off 50 yards and disappears in the brush. And I hear like a loud bellowing death. death I don't know. It sounded like a death bellow is the only way I could describe it. Yeah. But I never heard a crash. I never... I knew the arrow did not make a complete pass through. I was kind of worried about that. Um, I I called dad. And at the time, after I shot it, it's like I went into like a primal, usually a buck fever gets to me, but I went into like primer, uh, primal killer mode and uh, made it all happen. And after I got on the phone with my dad, I lost it. I get, <laughs> I get pretty emotional with the success and yeah. I lost it on the phone. I, and I called him, called my wife, a few of my best friends, and I was I was so excited at that time. Yeah, wow, that's awesome, man! And, and the last yeah. day of the season, kind of just I like had, I don't know, all of that four years worth. You know what I mean? Yeah, I had one. I had less than an hour probably left of Indiana season. Yeah, to get it done, and and the we didn't see him die. I mean, we had to go back in. We waited an hour and a half to, you know, until dark and we ended up uh, going up to where I'd last seen him and he had died 10 yards past that. And it, it felt so good to go over there and grab that rack and yank him out of the, br- the brush and see that it was, it's my personal best deer. Um, had the taxidermist score him at 149 and seven, eight. Nice. Um, yeah. It's, it's my best deer. It's by far my best bow kill. Uh, yeah. I man, I was so excited. Man, that's it awesome. Was, it was a yeah, it was it's such a it was such a lesson to just stay dedicated yeah. and just keep grinding it out, you know. That is a fact, my friend. Cuz you never know really when it's going to happen. Uh, um I've had ruts like that. You know, I don't typically do too much late season hunting for the most part because I don't necessarily need to. I mean, I could go and get a muzzleloader tag and and use my bow if I I really wanted to, but for some reason I don't. Um, but I've had those ruts where it just, it feels like it goes and goes and not, it wasn't this, it wasn't 2020, but it was 2019 where it was, it was 14 or 15 days straight grinding. And I know that's nothing compared to what you did, but you kind of get that same emotion because I knew that my, at, you know, on day, on day 16, I was done. Like I had two more days to get the job done. And so, but you made it work, man. So, uh, last question here before uh, we split our ways: Did you did you recognize that buck at all? Yeah, it was actually um, it was the buck that I had got on picture on August twentieth, and um, he was with the other buck that you know, I had nicknamed Wishbone, and um, it was confirmed that Wishbone ended up getting killed by somebody else. So, I lost my target buck, but I didn't know it till later in the season. 
and the only history I had of my buck was one picture from August 20th. Yeah, cool, man. Well, congratulations, man. Uh, thanks for coming on the on the podcast and, and sharing your story with thanks. us, and good luck in 2020. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And there you have it. Another episode in the books, man. Really appreciate you guys uh, following along. Really appreciate you guys, you know, voicing your opinions and comments and, and all that stuff, man. Uh, this I, I feel like we've created a really good community here in the Sportsman's Nation, uh, not only on the Nine Finger Chronicles, but uh, everything else that we do, too. So thank you for following along. A huge shout out to all the partners of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. We're talking about Ozonics, Lone Wolf, Wasp, and Vortex. And there might be some new people uh, hopping on board here pretty soon, too. So we will keep an eye out for that. Other than that, other than that, other than that, have a good day. Be nice to your neighbor. Um, Stay warm. Have fun. Enjoy life. Call your mom or dad that you haven't talked with in a while or a brother or, you know, spread the love. I don't know what to say. We'll talk to you next time.